Cobra Gang, Cobra Gang, Cobra Gang, Cobra Gang, Cobra Gang. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, folks. Uh, we're putting up big numbers. Uh, big numbers on the coronavirus scoreboard. Uh, it's dark in there. Number one for number of cases uh, for like the past uh, week or so or whatever. <laughs> and you know what? Disney World's reopened. I'm sure that won't be a catastrophe. I'm sure there will be no problems which arise from that whatsoever. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I foresee no issues. I foresee. Yeah, I don't see that any uh, bad things could happen. It's just such a dark place. Like, what did Ken Ken Klippenstein? I know you're not supposed to mention him on your podcast, but mm. he said, uh, "Hard to think of a more rock bottom place for a country to be than debating should we send little kids to school during a pandemic." Yeah, um, seems the answer to me seems pretty clear. Uh, that you know, you you shouldn't. Nope, you shouldn't do that. But uh, I guess we're gonna have a we're gonna have a free exchange of ideas about it. <laughs> love, the, yeah. love the marketplace of uh, nihilist Market- ideas. <laughs> the marketplace of <laughs> <laughs> the marketplace of pee pee poo poo. Yeah. Um, uh, And then I read an article this week um, entitled "Coronavirus is going to go permanent in America." Excuse me. Uh, yeah, so I'm just very blackpilled now. Um, of course, our administration, Trump, does not have any plan at all to handle the pandemic and has not had a plan and is not going to have a plan because their, their thought on this is if they stick their finger in their ears and pretend not to see it, it'll just go away. Um, and the point of this article is that, like, the only way that we get some sort of plan is if Biden gets elected and that'll be January 2021 at best and it'll be too late by then. It'll be I too think, late to like arrest the spread of it or, you know, the, the absolute. Yeah. So cool. I think so much of the, the wilding out that we like, I was looking over here at our show notes of the things we're going to talk about. And then looking in the possible topics we have that we're not talking about. Mm-hmm. So much of it is like, um, it seems to be a response to people realizing how powerless they are. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in mm-hmm. light of all this, like that, like, well, it turns out like we can't get people to like solidify around like not killing all of mankind. Right. And yeah. if we can't do that, then we can't not- even acknowledge that the disease like like we can't even come to a consensus as a country that the disease even exists because we still have so many people who just don't want to wear a mask because they just don't think that it's real, I guess. I don't know. I mean, our society is so screwed that, like, you know, uh, there are no facts anymore. Everything's just up for debate. And you go like, oh, the sky is blue. And someone will be like, well, that's your opinion. You know, I don't think it is. It's like real hyper-normalization hours where everyone's living inside of a pretend reality that they, they, they knowingly accept. Like... The the number of people who will talk to you about the coronavirus and they know all of the facts and yet mm-hmm. still choose without saying, yeah, I know I'm taking a calculated risk. No, they just choose to just live as if it isn't right the fact yeah. because 
because that's the world they've constructed to live in. And that's the world that our leaders are handing to us, right? That the, that the people with power are handing to us because, um, they hey, listen, no I'm just, I'm otherwise. just keeping calm and carrying on, you know, and I see no issues with that. I, I don't see how that could be a bad thing. Yeah, it's it's um, I mean, honestly, it's super nerve wracking for me because I work at a school and they mm. in three weeks were supposed to be opening and they're going to shove 50 kids on buses. Uh, I prefer not. And, and yeah. bus them, you know, some of these kids are coming from like almost like an hour away. So they're oh, like cool. spending an hour inside of a tube. Right. And but but, you know, I'm sure they're going to roll the windows down. So. Oh, you know. cool. Yeah, great. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, and everyone you talk to along the way acknowledges like, yeah, this is, su this sucks, but what are yeah. we going to do? You know, there's just like this helplessness. And right. I mean, I guess I, mean, I understand that yeah. because in my, within my little small sphere, I the haven't really taken is, any brave moves, but I don't really have any power, you know? Right. And the problem is the people who do have the power, like the people who have their hands on the steering wheel are like, I don't know, it's crazy. We're going to go right off this cliff. And it's like, but we don't but you could you could steer and it's like i don't i i don't mm, i don't think so <laughs> i'm powerless to do anything here and it's because they haven't partially it's because we haven't needed to steer the car in so long that we've forgotten how to do yeah, it yeah yeah <laughs> that they're true. just like i don't know what any of this does i'm just listen cruise control's been set for like the past 40 years what do you mean i have to intervene now this <laughs> I don't is know how any of this works <laughs> it, i know i always come back to technopoly um, mm. but which is a book that everyone needs to be reading. I think I'm going to yes. go back and yes. reread it. Um, like, why can't I spell it? Technopoly, but tech, technography, technography, it, <laughs> that's a deep, 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 deep one. Uh, mm. but the, 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 the whole premise of that book is that like, or at least one of the things is that people develop technologies to obfuscate responsibility. Mm, for things mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so you create a technology whether that's a bureaucracy or an algorithm or i a feel system. like in our case it's almost in a perverse way it's like testing in a sense where it's like oh well if we just test less then we'll have less coronavirus cases well but it's what, like, it, what it is what you're talking about like these people who have power have forgot like they don't know how to use it they can't they haven't for so right. long because everything's been on autopilot and that autopilot is the system that we've put in place and the point of that system is so that they don't have to be responsible for making right, yeah. unpopular decisions yet they can still reap the benefits from the power mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. power without responsibility is is the problem and I, yeah. I mean, this will tie into probably a lot of stuff we're talking about this week. But people with power want to avoid all responsibility while maintaining the power. But that's not that's not the the bargain that society set up. It's set up right. to be if you have more power, then you have more accountability and responsibility. Like that's that's how a healthy society functions. Right. You, you know who else likes to sort of weaponize this like, well, you know, uh, listen, uh, I have to do it because that's how what the system, the system decided this is landlords, right? Oh, geez. And this is our next topic is evictions, yeah. the, the coming eviction catastrophe. Um, it was reported this week that uh, one third of Americans missed July housing payments, which is cool. That's um, insane. Yeah. 
um, coronavirus is breaking the New York City rental market because a bunch of tenants have unpaid debts, and so no one new is going to lease to them. Um, and this is going to become a widespread issue. Um, it's been noted that uh, Congress was happy to step up to provide, uh, you know, like mortgage relief for homeowners. Um, but because we don't consider people who lease or rent to be real people, they got no relief of any kind. And that's that's increasingly the majority of Americans like. Yes. <laughs> but as we know, I want to be very clear here. If you rent, you're a terrible person and you should feel bad. And that includes me. That's that's the attitude of our country. Right. Like, if you, if, if renting you're not means a, you're not as successful as you should be. If you're not an owner, then you're yeah. worthless. Right. So, so renters get no help. And then, so, well, the help that they did get is that we banned evictions temporarily. We said, okay, you can't evict anyone for not paying rent. Except that, that that's, unless they plan to continue that indefinitely, like that's not actually helpful because as soon as that expires, the landlords are just going to evict a bunch of people. Yeah, and where the do way you that, think people the way are that they do that is they the go, money. well, listen, hey, the lease says if you don't pay, you know, they don't, they don't, you know, they they ignore the the moral quandary of kicking people out on the street by going, oh, I don't, you know, listen, it's in the, it's not, <clears throat> it's here in writing, you know. You hope it, that at some point it's so massive that they can't afford to do that simply because yeah. they won't recoup anything. They but won't be able to find new. I mean, the, this is the thing. Here's the problem with that is that. Uh, we don't really have that many landlords anymore. It's all financialization. It's all, it's all financialized. It's all operated by these corporations or these, these weird conglomerates and things like that. So, so for them, they don't care. Like they're like, oh, it's just a risk, and we lost money. Write it off. Yeah. Although I do think you know, if you're evicting people for non-payment of rent, and every other landlord or property management company is evicting people for non-payment of rent, and then you're trying to get new tenants. Who do you think you're going to find? Because, you know, they <laughs> they basically they want to do like background checks and like take a sample of your blood at this point to like, you know, like lease you an apartment. Like, how is right. that going to fly? You know, I don't know. Like, they're just going to if they do that, I think they're going to end up kneecapping themselves, you know, to an extent. Obviously, not as badly as the people they're putting out on the street because they're but stupid. Per, but, you know, but, the the thing is, if if the past is precedent. Um, and, the, and we look at the financial crisis in 2009, they, they won't, Oh, they'll get bailed they'll, out. They'll just get bailed out. So yeah. they'll still do the damage to the people, but they'll look to the government to bail them out. You know, I'm I was sure just going to say, I wish that, wow, we had I just black pilled sort of, myself on this one too. Oh my God. <laughs> I was going to say, I just wish we had some sort of, some sort of mechanism. It's too bad that we can literally do nothing to help renters. There's literally not a single thing that we can do. No! We've tried nothing. God! <laughs> we've no, tried nothing God, and it hasn't please, worked no, and we're all out no. of ideas <laughs> we have no idea we have no idea what we're doing <laughs> yeah. it's like listen we tried providing you no relief at all and it didn't work and so i don't i don't i think i'm all out of ideas here so i'm sorry that's just how it's gonna be hopefully this sort of uh radicalizes people more and like opens up their mind to the fact that there's, I think it there's will nobody make the but class us. differences very apparent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't, yeah. And you want to talk about people it. protesting because they, you know, like don't have a job to do? How about when they literally don't have a place to live? <laughs> I think you'll see some unrest there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, keep an eye on that one, I think. Yeah, but if the Congress is... Uh, oh, oh.
Oh, sorry. Con- Congress ahead. is in recess at the moment, and they're not going to meet until like August yeah. or whenever. So. <laughs> no, they're not meeting for. They're meeting the last two weeks of of July, and oh, then cool. they go on break for all of August. Right, and, which and is their when two all weeks of for July are probably going to be determining how long they're going to recess in August. <laughs> oh, we have we have our, no. Our hope government that- is useless. <laughs> We're it's a failed useless. state. Like I know yeah. that's like a thing that's like every like lefty podcast says. Like, whoa, we're a failed state. But like, our I government kind of, is literally man. not reacting to a massive crisis. Yeah, I think that's like what is. Let's Google. They handed this. everyone a well, not everyone. They handed a lot of people a twelve hundred dollars and said, "Here, hope this helps." A failed state <laughs> it's, is. It's a like your grandma t- giving you ten dollars on your birthday. It's like, oh. <laughs> Thanks. A failed state is a political body that has disintegrated to a point where basic conditions and responsibilities of a sovereign government no longer function properly. Yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and then the first Google search is we are living in a failed state, the Atlantic. So if the mm. Atlantic Monthly says that, then. Right. Just imagine. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I tried to finish that. J- just imagine living. Uh, in a in a place where like the politicians were not so highly privileged as such that they actually felt as threatened by this as everyone else. So that's the thing. They just don't they're not threatened by coronavirus. They'll they'll be fine, you know? I mean they're they're not their livelihoods aren't threatened, so they just don't care. They see no urgency to it. I don't understand that. I just don't I don't I mean, listen, Nancy Pelosi has $500,000 worth of Jenny's ice cream in her six fridges, and she's weathering it fine. See, no issue. I just, I just don't, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It's, I don't, yeah, can we, let's just, uh, uh, I don't, uh, let's, um, I already am eating. Let's just, just move on. (laughs) There we go. Okay. Um, another fun topic that the fun thing that I discovered this week is, uh, mm. the California public employee retirement system known as CalPERS, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is the pension fund for, uh, public employees in California. The, the teachers have their own, which is CalSTRS. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but other than that, everyone else pretty much is lumped into CalPERS, um, mm. which is that's, that's the one that I'm in. Because I'm not a teacher, but I work in education. But you're so a public employee. Yeah. I'm a public employee. And CalPERS has made a cool decision that they're oh, going cool. yeah. to they're going to start investing in private equity and private debt. Here we so, go. <laughs> whereas before they invested in sort of like your normal pension fund kind of stuff like stocks and bonds and whatever yeah yeah, Um, oil companies (laughs) yeah yeah um you know actually there's been some cool moves like for calpers to divest of things uh which has been kind of interesting so look they they have a they have a massive um uh, amount of power because they're just huge i mean california is like a country in and of itself right the size of it so um they yeah so CalPERS, I mean, it's almost like a sovereign wealth fund. Yeah, basically, basically. Um, and one of the reasons, like, I've stayed in in a job where, you know, yeah, you know, sometimes it's not so great, is uh, 
that the retirement is is pretty solid for a California public employee. And I've right. already been in for like 12 years. So like I feel like that's the bargain that like state employees or even federal employees sort of make is it's like you don't get paid super well and it's not necessarily a good job, but you get a pension and that's pretty neat. Yeah, it's pretty dependable. It's it's a good amount of money. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And the thing is with them doing this, that that they're just increasing their risk by an insane amount. Now, do do you have like a good... I'm not sure I have like a great description of what private equity and private debts are. Um, uh, well, um, let's like see. a simple so like way to explain equity, it. Private equity, you know, private equity is basically like the sorts of companies that come in and buy. Well, good examples like they they buy a chain like J Crew, right? Like a, a well-known clothing brand. They and then they, they, they just sort of thing, strip it for parts. They're like they're vultures, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So they just they just sort of go through and destroy whole companies or industries to reap profit. Um, yeah. yeah, it's great, and we love and, it. Yeah, and then private debt is the opposite of that. It's basically uh, companies that will go in and and issue debt or issue loans mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. companies, but they're not a bank, right? Yeah. Um this is becoming like more and more popular like everything's becoming private debt. Um mm. and as we've learned there's like absolutely no problems with uh doing this kind of stuff outside of the banking system and it's never volatile and never disastrous. Yeah, there's no there's totally um, enough oversight over Nothing all of nothing this. that's backed by This you know, is absolutely amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so the the fact that they're that Calpers is starting to invent and it's 20% they said they 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 basically are are trying to get permission to do up to 20% of their jeez. Their I mean, this is the thing is like it's one of those things where, like, if you get into private equity, I'm sure it can be very lucrative, you know? So I guess they're seeing that they can, there's a chance to get a, a secure a pretty sizable bag here, but, like, there's also a pretty sizable risk. Yeah, well, <laughs> and the one thing of the is, points... The thing is, they're not gambling with some rich people's money. They're gambling with a bunch of, of little people's money and, and livelihoods, you know? So... Yeah, cool. the, the the argument, there's this article from, I I just, I mean, I just found out about this blog, Naked Capitalism. I don't, I mean, supposedly it's kind of like radical, like it's like, or it's like radical finance blog kind of a situation. I don't know. I don't know mm-hmm. the provenance of it, but they're basically making an argument that like, even if that was the case at some point is definitely not now. Right. Like, yeah. this is the exact wrong time to get into this stuff because we're like headed face long into a huge depression right so this was like possibly the the worst possible decision for calpers to make and it's just basically Mm -hmm. burning i mean the title of this this article is pretty great it's uh calpers plans to blow its brains out seeks to increase risk by boosting private equity private debt and leveraging the entire fund yeah. Yeah. I love so, to leverage the entire fund that people rely on for their retirement. That seems like a good, good idea. It's just cool because all of this is going to be in the span of like the time when I'm wanting to retire. Cause you look at like a depression might yeah. be like a whole decade. And like, I've got like, maybe like, like my, my earliest retirement date is in like 11 years. So like, mm. uh, yeah, that could yeah. suck a yeah, big cool. one. Cool. 
I mean, at least there's some good things happening in California. Uh, oh, the, yes. The the high-speed rollout. This is our transit vertical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, plan plan for high-speed rail rolls out for San Francisco to San Jose, but with little cash, of course. However, right. uh, there is a vision for high-speed trains between San Jose and San Francisco, uh, plotting out a 30-or-so-minute ride on what is one of the busiest stretches, or what would be one of the busiest stretches on the California high-speed rail system. Uh, basically, they want the trains from the California high-speed rail, which we talked about in our high-speed rail episode, uh, which are sort of going through the central Valley or will be shortly um, to merge onto the Caltrain line, which goes from San Jose from San Jose to San Francisco right now in like about an hour is I think the Mm -hmm. best time that you get for like an express train. Um, This would take that town down to 30 minutes, which is very cool. Yeah. Um, so the the problem is that um, this is obviously a very busy corridor because it's where all the Silicon Valley companies pretty much are is on the mm-hmm. peninsula, and the problem is it's a peninsula and it's a, a like a semi mountainous, very hilly peninsula. So there's not really good places to put rail, and so the only place that really makes sense is like the existing rail. So they're running it along Caltrain's tracks, which is okay. I mean. It could certainly be worse, but Caltrain's tracks are not really designed for the like super high speed operation that they want to achieve in the Central Valley segment. They'll be going about half as fast as they do, you know, their max speed. Um, But there are a lot of synergies here. Like we talked about, Caltrain has already been electrifying its line, which the Cal HSR will then use. And then they've been modernized or plan to modernize and um, build some new high-level platforms that the high-speed rail trains will use. Um, I think it's cool because the, o- the news that you hear about the California high-speed rail is just doom all the time. Yeah, and it's always like, oh, it's over budget and it costs too much. There's plenty of doom to go around. Right. But it is, it is it nevertheless plugs along, which is kind of... What I had envisioned when I voted yes on the proposition to fund the high-speed rail, like, initially. Yeah. Like, I mean, the thing is, these things do tend to just sort of roll along, I think. Um, But also, you know, it is a tendency of our our sort of... um, our society and our government and our press to just talk about how expensive things are. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's costing this much money because, you know, the news has to print something. (laughs) <laughs> so well it was it was it it all sort of like was became more real to me when i was reading in this article that they're talking about the southern leg is set for 2033 mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is like it you know maybe that seems impossibly far away but this is when i was thinking oh this is the year i retire this is my life yeah. or i could you know i'm hopefully i would go longer but you know right whatever like so, you know, I could maybe they could be done by that time. And that's kind of I don't know. It made it more real to me somehow that, oh, like this could actually happen. This isn't, you know, impossible. Right. So and the southern so, leg would mean like I could like get to L.A. so much faster. I could go to San Francisco. So that's, you know, on a train. That's pretty cool on high speed mm-hmm. rail. I do. They do have um, in the bottom of this article. They do have what I think is interesting statistics here. Um, Proponents of the project say that uh, the high-speed rail project in general say while the cost may be high, the state would face an even pricier proposition of building 
4,200 miles of highway lanes and 91 <laughs> airport gates to equal the traffic relief that the high-speed rail would provide. I mean, this yeah. is, like I said, high-speed rail is very passenger-dense. So, like, this yeah. is the thing. We were talking about, like, well, where else could they put it other than the Caltrain lines, you know, like, if they wanted, like, conflict-free. And I said, well, you know, maybe they could just lay tracks down the middle of the 101 or something yeah yeah well <laughs> that's what they're doing in the san francisco to san jose portion is it's basically the 101 right yeah. yeah so and i think i think it'll be interesting because if they do 30 minutes from san francisco to san jose i think a lot of people will do that over trying to drive oh like 280 or the 101 I think so. I think so. Yeah. So it's uh, you know that's good. New- it's good news. It's pl- it continues to plug along. It's a mm-hmm. a bright spot, and hopefully, um, my retirement hasn't completely disappeared by then, and I can afford to buy tickets. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, another uh, very controversial topic, and mm-hmm. that we've put in the show notes is. <laughs> We've been thinking about controversial. I don't think so. I don't know. We've been thinking about McDonald's architecture. Mm, We have, yes. I like it. Mm. And we, we, I, I just have the position. I'm going to put it out there, and if this makes me canceled, then so be it. Mm. I'm, I'm willing to put it out there. Do you understand that? But bring back the red roofs. Yes, 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 yes. How's, how's there always one more? I don't know. Every time it gets me. Every time. Um, are you adding them? Is that what's happening? <laughs> Am no, I being pranked no. here? <laughs> I do not. You can go back and listen to every single oh, drop. Oh, <laughs> man. Um, yes. No, the red... See, the thing is, uh, we need to reject modernity and embrace tradition. Um, yeah. And go back to the traditional architecture of our forefathers, which is the uh, like red roofs, the gabled red roofs. Bring back the McDonald Land sort of stuff. Like that vibe was yeah. was great. You know, I, I want that. I want that '90s uh, solo cup back. Uh, I want that '90s Taco Bell aesthetic back. I want all of that back because what we have now, where they've tried to turn McDonald's into like floor to ceiling glass monstrosities, is just not. It's They're boring. trying to like everything's <laughs> trying to be a Starbucks. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like McDonald's were distinctive, you know, in their way, and now they're not. <laughs> yeah, so. so we're we're coming we're coming for embracing tradition here. You, mm-hmm. you know, cancel yes. us if you will. Yeah. We we also, you know, want to take some time here in the little middle of the show. You know, if you want to get up and stretch a little bit. Yeah. Do do some calisthenics. This is a, yeah, um, this is me. <clears throat> this is my this is me being your watch, tapping you on the wrist. It's time to stand. <laughs> it's time to stand. Um we just want to remind you that we have a Patreon. Uh, we being for- the good stuff network. Yeah, a lot of people uh, don't know that we are basically put up for free by the good folks at goodstuff.fm. Yeah, yeah they, um, they've been letting us crash on their couch for a while now. Yeah, we've been eating out of their fridge, you know, it, it's it's pretty kind. I, the- asking Chris if he can get some ketchup chips next time he goes out because <laughs> <laughs> we ate them all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So, you know, uh, they're a great Canadian podcasting. It's across, it's a Canadian California. Yeah, endeavor. North American podcasting empire. Right. <laughs> um, and they have a Patreon, patreon.com slash good stuff, I think is what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, donate there. If you, if you become a patron, you get access to some, some other shows on the feed and you, there's, there's other fun shows on the network and you also get access to our discord server mm-hmm. so you can come in and chat at us um which you know you can chat at us you can also just use our emoji we have a lot of good emoji in the discord in the mm-hmm. good stuff discord including emojis for uh Hulhauser. very good right yes and Hul- for Hul- smooth emojis. brain uh yeah they're all very good <laughs> yeah so please please if you haven't yet go go do that and you know what let's also ask people to rate us on uh, mm. whatever yeah we don't, don't have think, that many yeah. ratings um and i would i would appreciate that you can use that as an opportunity to talk trash on us um yeah to cancel us it's a it's really is a good cancellation platform and i'm surprised that more people haven't taken advantage of it yeah um a lot of people want you to rate their podcast you know five stars we want you to rate us one star yeah give yeah. us the worst rating possible <laughs> rate us zero stars if that's even possible i don't know <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know either just a rating uh, with no stars yeah um anyway we, al- we also have a sponsor this week want to hit that sponsor music our, today we're sponsored by Liberty Mask. Now, Liberty Mask is an essential protection against Antifa mm. and against leftist and Marxist radicals who are trying you know, to tear this country down. This is the thing. The Antifa fascists have been on the rise, uh, and it's vital that you protect yourself from them uh, with our new Liberty Mask. Our Liberty Mask is its a new kind of mask um, that blocks 95% of particles smaller than, uh, I don't know, it's a very small amount, but it'll protect you from things like concrete milkshakes, uh, mm-hmm. pepper spray, um, vaporized mouth spittle of some kind, uh, you know, that sort of thing. It'll keep you safe from all of the, you know, the, the terrible left-wing diseases that they yeah, carry. Yeah, let's, let's talk about air-carried vaccinations. Let's talk about um, yeah, contrails. <laughs> talk about 5g it will protect you from all these things now mm-hmm. some people are out there now this is i got let me get i got it on the read here um they've they've changed it um <laughs> yeah hang they, on one more they explicitly want us to yeah they explicitly <laughs> want us to mention the that that there has been some some controversy now people are saying that this is just an n95 mask and this yeah. is just a way to trick people into uh, wearing, wearing a, mask a mask for coronavirus. But but Liberty Mask true. wants you to know that the coronavirus is a hoax and this yeah. has nothing to do with it. And as such, they've they want you to know that they're endorsed by by at least one very prominent conservative figure. And they have provided us with a soundbite to play to prove that and here we go i'm tucker carlson i wear liberty mask every day there you go there you go there you go liberty mask made in america by only republicans speaking by made in america speaking of republicans (laughs) so um harper's magazine which is an outlet that you fortunately do not hear very much from these days uh lit the entire internet on fire unfortunately. 
They lit the entire internet on fire this week by publishing uh, a letter, which I will go ahead and say is very dumb. In fact, if you Google Harper's Magazine, rather than the main Harper's website being the first result, this letter is now the first result, (laughs) which is remarkable. It's called A Letter on Justice and Open Debate, which is always a good sign when your letter opens with that. Um, But basically, it's a big complaint about a cancel culture, more or less. But what it actually is, is more of like a sort of complaint from a bunch of people who are sort of notable transphobes, uh, among other things. This is the thing is, this is sort of a, 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 a secretly, um, like transphobic agenda message that's been laundered by trying to get other people to sign it to sort of cover that up a little bit. Like they got Noam Chomsky to sign it, but you know, but he's like 90 something. So he'll probably sign everything. It's, it's kind of sad. Actually, people should leave him alone. Yeah, just leave Gnome alone. He's so sad. Just leave Gnome alone. I'm sure he's guy, old and tired. Just, just let him die. Yeah, just just li- stop asking him to sign your stupid nonsense. Yeah, the thing is that that there's so many, not just like transphobia, but also like conservative, free, uh, quote unquote, free speech, uh you know um politically correct stuff you know and fascism basically Mm -hmm. it's like laundered through this super vague notion of what they call illiberalism yeah or cancel culture and Um, we will come back to illiberalism believe you me but but it's um, so it's so ill-defined is the problem that the thing is cancel culture is means different things to different people uh, it, you it know, really it's just the, a term you can use as a cudgel at this point it, for whatever. It's you're. the moral panic of the moment, right? Yes. Um. What? Oh God! There was a tweet that I saw that someone said it's the you know it's like the satanic panic of Twitter, right? Or something like that, right? And 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 it's we're gonna look back, you know, in a year or two or a decade and just be like, what was everyone so crazy about? Because like, yeah. If you think that like the nature of free speech has changed this quickly and it's going to be this catastrophic like i don't know what world you've been living in like right things i mean this is this is the thing this is this is a letter from a bunch of prominent people basically saying like hey uh we're being silenced and uh where did they get that published a major national magazine so like everyone's talking about it. it yeah it's basically a bunch of people complaining about being deplatformed in like a massively, you know, important and prestigious platform, basically. So I don't really buy it. I mean, the, I've seen some good analysis analyses of this. Um, one that I read said that, you know, things like Twitter basically enable um, the little guy, you know, to, to voice resistance. You know, for example, like you can call out your employer and your employer can't really rebut you publicly on Twitter because they'll yeah. get, you know, responses. Um, and so, you know, th- basically this has enabled Twitter has enabled, um, you know, the powerless to sort of organize to some extent and speak up more forcefully. And so the powerful feel that this is this is an unacceptable state of affairs, uh, because as we've as we said in the past, you know, their whole attitude is that you cannot you're not allowed to criticize me. And I well, cannot emphasize know, strongly enough that you are not allowed to criticize me. Not to, it's just not allowed. It, yeah. Not to like channel anarchy too much because I'm not really an anarchist, but like this is sort of a a fight to to 
impose hierarchy to like maintain hierarchy. Right. And, and, they're and just it's, seeing it, it's classism. And they're yeah. seeing they're protecting their own class interest here. They're saying, hey, you guys are too uppity and you need to knock it off. Yeah. I don't I don't know, like it when you tell pick. me, you, you know, that I'm not allowed to say <laughs> bad things about trans people. You can cherry pick examples of how this is hurt, quote unquote, of the little guy. But those those are so few and far between. And and there's also seems to be a confusion of just people being dicks with what people attempting to fight back against corrupt, right. powerful people. This and is, they're not this the same like, thing. This is like, what are we talking about here? It's like, well, you know, like, let's say that you have, a, a, you know, a Twitter following. And then one day you make a post that makes people go, mm, I don't know. You know, like maybe it's vaguely racist or transphobic or something like that. And so people start unfollowing you and they start telling their friends to unfollow you. Is that, I, I you know, that what that is, is that's consequences for your action. Because you, right. you you'd said something that made people question whether they want to listen to you anymore, and then they decided not to. But instead, you interpret what, that as like an actual threat to your like well-being. Well, I think people are conflating something like that with with when people go after people's employment, they try to get them fired. Um, mm -hmm. They try to they try to use the harsh capitalist realm of employment against people. Um, well, and, and one of the people who signed this this letter, this Harper's letter, is Barry Weiss, the um, the New York Times columnist, who uh, you know at, at the same time as signing this letter, complaining about you know editors getting fired for running controversial pieces, and writes lots of columns, sort of on this vein as well, is also well known for trying to get professors fired at the university that she went with because they were right. not sufficiently Zionist. <laughs> so. It's, you know, it's all, that's the thing. If you dig into this just a little bit, especially if you look at the names, it's interesting because they, they have the list of names and then they mm -hmm. have like, um, like their positions next to them. Uh, and they say like, oh, um, you know, I, I, there's a note at the bottom is institutions are listed for identification purposes only. It's like, uh-huh, cool. Yeah. You're not to, you're definitely telling me that when you put comma Yale University after someone's name that you're not trying to like convey a sense of importance. You're just like trying to say, "Oh, you know." Uh, yeah, this is the this is the Barry Weiss that that, that works for the New York Times. Yeah, of the New York Times Weiss. Weiss. Yeah. <laughs> and and you can tell reading the piece like all the first the first third of it is all about institutions. And then mm. they try to do this magical switcheroo to be like, and the reason this is important because it harms everybody. It harms the little guys. And it's like, you haven't established that. Read it. It doesn't make a good argument for the fact that it does harm everybody. It makes a, what they're making an argument for. And I think this is not on purpose. They don't realize it, but they're just projecting their class interest into this argument. Um, right. And what they're arguing for is class solidarity is is what it comes down to. And like to me, it just comes off as if it's like the British redcoats complaining that the uh, American revolutionaries don't don't fight in a single file line wearing red jackets. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. And it's not An open fair. letter on honorable combat in <laughs> <Yeah>. battle. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's what it seems like. They're like <laughs> mad that we're using guerrilla asymmetrical it, warfare. It's, it's that you can't cut funding meme, except it's you can't hide in the trees. You will regret <laughs> this. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Uh, 
the best the best thing that came out of this was the national review had to take this just like oh god the, i was done serious psychic damage by this the national review uh the editors of the national review i love that they didn't bother putting a byline on it which perhaps no, tells just you the editors um wrote a wrote an article entitled it's come to this we must defend matt iglesias because uh friend of the show matt iglesias signed this letter yeah um and then was very blasé and flippant about it on Twitter, which is cool. Um, so he signed the letter and then um, uh, so he's at Vox. And then um, one of Vox's critics, Emily Vanderwerf, who is is trans, um, said that, you know, uh, him signing this uh, along with a bunch of other anti-trans people who signed this letter is probably not a super great thing. Um, not a good look in a sense. Um, yeah. And so uh, the National View has said, this is, of course, dishonest drivel. Vanderwerf no more felt threatened by Iglesias's name on a letter than Amy Cooper felt threatened by that Ivy League birdwatcher in Central Park. To which I simply say, how, how do you possibly know that? How, <laughs> how, how can you possibly know how threatened Emily felt? But they just um, assert that without evidence and then continue their whole stupid article. Um, and talk about, you know, illiberalism and things like that. It's very dumb. I can't suggest reading it. Uh, <laughs> well, probably because suggest- they dead name Emily as well, which is <sighs> really, really bad. Um, and they're canceled for that now. But yeah, I don't know. What, it's just funny. When the, the National the image- Review is siding with you, you should maybe think about uh, your decisions <laughs> in life. The image that goes along with it is perfect because it's like a, a a person in white shirt sleeves at a keyboard and there's chains a, wrapped uh, around a, their hands. A, it's important to note a British layout Apple keyboard. So they're British. And it's a, and it's a white. It's a, the hand is. White. Yeah, <laughs> right. And, and they're chained. They're chained yeah. to the keyboard. They're, but the thing is, they can still post, which is, that's exactly the thing is there's just been a bunch of articles. There was one that a bunch of, of the British people I follow were retweeting today that was some right wing columnist writing in, I don't know, the Telegraph or something, one of those newspapers about uh. cancel culture, you know, and it's like, oh, the left is canceling us, I wrote in one of the UK's biggest newspapers. <laughs> And this this gets to the this is this is something that Mark Bray, um, who's a historian, talks about in uh, this book that I've mentioned before. That's a the anti-fascist handbook. It's a book on Antifa, mm. um, and he he makes this really good point at the end of the book because he's arguing about people who say that a- Antifa is is anti-free speech. Right? They're trying to silence people, mm, mm-hmm. and 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 that's what they're and it's like illiberal the the means they're pursuing to combat fascism. And he makes this point that I've shared before, but it's more relevant to date. He says free speech is often likened to a marketplace of ideas. This marketplace metaphor was popularized in the United States in the early 20th century by the Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, who argued that truth could best be promoted by a free trade in ideas. In fact, the marketplace metaphor perfectly describes the power dynamics of free speech in a capitalist society, though not in the way that its proponents intended. Multinational corporations aspiring towards monopolistic control of capital and information establish the general confines in which the vast majority of humanity sell their labor and articulate their speech. The market of commodities is inseparable from the market of ideas, since ideas are commodified along with everything else in capitalist society. All non-incarcerated citizens may have an equal right to literally speak, but the ability to make that speech heard and make it matter is highly stratified. 
Yeah. And that's just, you know, the people who sign this letter are, the, are basically like the people who are at the top of that stratification. Yeah. And they're concerned that some of us seem to be climbing close to them. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, you know, <laughs> that's the take on that. And how that relates is like, uh, let's, we, this is something we have like continually not moved from potential topics to the it's show. It's funny because last week you asked me, do you want to talk about this? And I said, no, that kind of petered out. And then, of course, the day <laughs> course. after we recorded, this letter dropped. And who signed it? J.K. Rowling. Uh, and so we're finally talking about J.K. Rowling and her um, full pivot into being a 100% uh, transphobe. Um, she's just decided um, to be, well, they like to call it gender critical, um, but it's basically just, you know, um, doubting the sort of existence and experiences of trans people, um, you know, and suggesting that accepting trans people somehow does harm to like, uh, lesbian, gay, and bisexual people in some way. There's As like a there's bait sort and switch of fallacy between, going yeah. on. Yeah, there's there's this fallacy that you can't like like accepting of trans people will somehow harm the rest of the movement, and it's all just silly and very dumb. Um, and there's been quite a reckoning from a lot of people who are fans of J.K.'s work. Um, you know, uh, a a lot of the thing. So one of the funnier things that came out of it was the meme that uh, Hatsune Miku wrote Harry Potter. Um, Hatsune Miku being a Japanese um, cartoon character just to, you know, because people still enjoy the work, but they would like not to engage with the author anymore, which I think is fair. So you mm -hmm. just decide to replace the author. You just, or like I said, it's funny how Harry Potter uh, sprung into the world fully formed without an author. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's of, just none of um, their ideas were influential on the text or the 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 way that you think about it. <laughs> yeah. She's just been going off um for like the past several months at this point about uh some complete nonsense. The best part, you know, she she was working I guess on a children's story and so she was soliciting drawings from children of like the monster in her story and so she tweeted one of them. Uh, or like, you know, like quote tweeted one of them, but then also accidentally pasted in like a, a quote from some article that she must have been reading, reading that was um, anti-trans as well. And then had to delete that tweet because it made no sense and was ridiculous. Um, but what I don't understand is, you know, she's she's very rich, obviously, from her books and the movies based off of it. And I don't understand why she is so online about this. Um, why doesn't she just go away to her yacht that i assume she has um but yeah, then i looked I, into it and it turns out she, she sold the yacht several years ago so i think that may be ooh. the root issue here yeah we um, need to get we need to get her into a yacht hey yeah joan, i mean it's just like joan what do we need to do to get you into a yacht today <laughs> it, it it's i don't know i feel like if i were as rich as she was i would spend my time not arguing on Twitter about gender because that just doesn't I, sound fun to me. I, I don't know what's going on. It's it's interesting to think about what is going on in, in people like uh, Joanne's brains that they just like her and like Grand Linehan that they're just it's all they can think about is this stuff about trans I kind people. of I think maybe for you and me like we both come from a culturally conservative background right? Um, yeah, and I come from a particularly conservative or like regressive background when it comes to things like gender and sex. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And, you know, I, I even participated in a lot of that, which is something for I'm for sure going to get canceled by some point in the future. Like mm-hmm. that was the past me. And I, and I found my way through that and realized how toxic and gross that is. But, mm-hmm. but I think having to come through that really helps you to realize the fundamental issues of it rather than the cultural culture war issues of it. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of these liberal people latched onto, for instance, like gay rights on a cultural level. They didn't latch onto it on a fundamental level about power and humanity. I, is that making any sense? Like, it's almost like they didn't quite, quite grok the underlying issues. They right. just saw it yeah. as a culture war. Mm-hmm. And so when something else comes up, which is based on similar underlying issues, but culturally different for them, mm-hmm. they can't understand. Like right. pitting trans people against other queer people <laughs> yeah, is like right. the same thing as pitting queer people against straight people. Like, right. And, and there's, there's no point to it. You know, the same time people who would say, you know, why don't you want gay marriage, for instance? Uh, you know, are you threat? You think this threatens straight marriage? That's so stupid. Ha ha ha. Are the same people who now are saying trans people threaten queer people. And it's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, do you not see the contradiction here? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. do you not see the similarities and that you've like flip flopped to another side of the argument? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like it's so much of this stuff, like having come from a background where I had to actually confront this stuff, um, and find my way to a different place, like really did, I think was ultimately helpful in the end to kind of mm-hmm. like shed a lot of this Garbo way of thinking, um, that like other people's identities and things like that threaten anything. And the fact that like, you do not need to fight against people who are already suffering tremendously right like Mm -hmm. yeah like that's the thing that's what's particularly (laughs) galling to me is that it's not like trans people have it easy already yeah it's insane it's like it's like they're already suffering so much in our current culture our current climate in this world Mm -hmm. um and so you need to make sure that they are constantly made aware that they are a problem and that they that you that you hate them. And it's just like, why? What? Why? That's like you said, why don't you just like screw off? Just like go on your yacht, leave people alone. Yeah, go buy why? a house in Bali or something like seriously, do something don't better t- with your time. <laughs> like I could think of so many better things to do with my time. Like I just watched that. uh that movie Palm Springs, mm. which is like a, it's like a new Groundhog's Day basically. Mm-hmm. And like, I think about that situation. It's funny. Cause one of the plot points, and this isn't really a spoiler, but it's like the tension of like, it's never, it's never dealt with in Groundhog's Day, whether you would want to leave this time loop. Like mm. it's assumed you would want to leave it, <clears throat> but like thinking about it, think of all the things you could do. Like, right. Yeah. And think about how comfortable it would be to not have to worry about anything. Really? You know what I mean? Like that's like a tempting thought that, that that they play with. And that's what I think about like with all these rich people like why do you why do you want to fixate on all these th- just go just go chill. Take it easy. Yeah. It's not that hard. Uh, yeah. It's oh. it's it's exhausting. I don't know. <laughs> 
Well, you know, all yeah. this is why we're going to we're, we're announcing a new project. Uh, well, before we do that, I just want to say uh, trans rights, trans people are valid, and I yes. love you all. Amen. I just want to be very clear about that in our stance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no room. I don't want. We don't want to leave any room for doubt on that where we yeah. stand. <laughs> uh, but yes, we are announcing a new project. Um, but first, I want to talk about. I promised an, an update on this on Twitter. Um, uh huh. We have previously reported on the neoliberal project, um, and there was some news uh, last week um, that the neoliberal project uh, um, has been uh, folded into a new project entitled the Center for a New Liberalism. Now, the neoliberal project had been taken over by the the, um, Progressive Policy Institute. Um, and now what they've done is they've created the Center for New Liberalism under the Progressive Policy Institute, and then under that is the Neoliberal Project. And I assume Whoa! this is just what they do to 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 get paid. Like this is how they get paid. It's just this by creating like non- new levels of hierarchy. <laughs> this is like nonprofit cup game. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a it's a complete shell game. Um, the Center for New Liberalism is an organization that will prioritize the intellectual and political work started by the Neoliberal Project. To which I simply say, which work exactly? What work? Um, but uh, they're also starting a new podcast. They previously had the neoliberal podcast. Now they have another podcast. And to emphasize how seriously neoliberals take politics and all of the consequences of it, this, this podcast is entitled the Some Politics Podcast. Liberalism. Yeah. I love how blasé the name is. I mean, I'm sure it's a little <laughs> bit tongue in cheek, but like, come on. Um, yeah. So uh, they're, 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 um, they've invented a whole new layer in their whole system. Yeah. Um, and they've started yet another website. Um, good for them. I guess keep <laughs> securing that bag or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but of course, we uh, here at the uh, Council at the Institute of the Center for Politics and Society, not to be outdone, are announcing a new initiative. Um, we're now right. placing the backpack initiative under the Center for a New Illiberalism. It's easy um, to remember. Yeah, you know, we talked about illiberalism f- before, and I think, you know, it's just a very good counter to this one. So we'll be arguing for um, all kinds of things. Obviously, we'll be against cancel culture. Um, right. We'll probably also be against... Wait, um, we're not against cancel culture. We're we're really for cancel culture, right? Is that... Hmm. Well, I don't know. That? I think we're canceling, canceling, cancel culture. Canceling, yes. Yes, yeah, that's if that makes yeah. sense. It's easy to remember. <laughs> right. So, you know, get in touch. Um, you can make your checks out to the center uh, with the council at the, you know, well, you know what, just, just square cash us or whatever. We'll figure it out. In the meantime. Uh, you know just, what? You know what I've been thinking about? What? I've been thinking about those beans. <laughs> uh, thinking about those yes. beans. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I saw, see, the thing was, I wasn't fully caught up on this. I saw a bunch of people mention Goya yesterday or like the day before, and then a bunch of people late yesterday talking about beans, and it took me a moment to put two and two together. No, um, but the, the Goya company, which is a, um, uh, a big, I believe they're Mexican. Let me check this. There's um, some they're they're a food American. company. Oh, it's taking me to the artist Goya, who I don't think is canceled at the moment. 
Not we'll check yet. in with that later. Yeah. Goya Foods is uh oh they were they're in New Jersey lovely cool um but <laughs> New Jersey the fam- the famous Latin American country of New Jersey yeah they're they're an American company but they produce um like uh, Latin American food stuff we got them and they're they're very popular in uh, Latinx communities um but they're um their uh, 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 CEO I guess praised Trump which is probably not a wise thing to do given the core demographic of their um customer base mm-hmm. which is you know uh, um you know a, a group of people that Trump is is largely hostile to so then a lot of people were you know suggesting that perhaps they would not be buying goya foods anymore but what i saw um that made me think was ted cruz logged on um keyboard oh. warrior ted cruz has logged on to defend the well, bean we should debate our plans <laughs> Uh, and, uh, uh, did I put his, oh yes, I did put his tweet in here. He said, uh, he was later, um, well, we'll get into it in a moment. So Goya Foods, uh, um, is, is undergoing something of a boycott right now. And the CEO has refused to apologize for his remarks. And, uh, Ted Cruz (laughs) said, Ted, Ted Cruz says, Goya is a staple of Cuban food. My grandparents ate Goya black beans twice a day for nearly 90 years. And now the left is trying to cancel Hispanic culture and silence free speech. Hashtag buy Goya. And uh, it was later determined that this wasn't really possible because uh, Goya Foods was founded in 1936. So you couldn't be eating it for 90 years because um, it didn't exist for 90 years. For It hasn't existed for 90 years yeah. yet. So, um not only is it wrong, but what I thought was interesting was to observe, you know, these sorts of things, um, whether it's, you know, the owner of some companies coming out in favor of Trump or, you know, like uh, the Kerrig situation where a bunch of conservatives like destroyed their Kerrig machines because Kerrig was anti-Trump or whatever. It's just yeah. um, conservatives owning themselves by trying to own the libs, you know, and I'm just thinking now that there's going to be a bunch of people who are going to go out and buy a bunch of beans from Goya just there's to own be the a libs. Bunch of- like white conservative people who've never who just eaten, have pallets of uh, refried beans that they will never they, they use. don't even know what to do with these things and they're just going to be sitting there home looking at their their beans and just going am i in mexico now well, we need to get right. back. Just, <laughs> just a pile a pallet in the corner of my garage filled with chipotles and adobo sauce and i'm just like i don't know what i will ever do with these but it's important that i bought them to support Trump. we decided we were going to change the world and we did <laughs> Just buying an entire pallet of black beans to own the libs or in the in the uh, sort of the opposite direction, destroying your coffee maker to own the libs. And it's like in this case, in both cases, really, the only person that you've harmed is yourself because you've either purchased more food than you will possibly do anything with or you've like destroyed your ability to make coffee or you've like burnt your Nike shoes or whatever. (laughs) Like you're not hurting anyone apart from yourself. Which, you know, I'm all for. Please continue to make uh, fools of yourselves. It's very amusing for me. It's so funny because it's just it's just the what we've talked about a lot is the consumerist mindset. And it's Mm -hmm. that consumerist mindset in action where you can only understand your position in society or in the world within the framework of being a consumer. And so Mm -hmm. you signal your beliefs and you take direct action by (laughs) consuming or disposing of something and that's like the only way you can think of the world it's just like in it and it's funny that by doing this they're only proving the point right 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> that, Be- that being a you know, culture being warrior by, by just people. pushing a cart down the aisle with my arm out, shoving all the bottles of Moho Criollo into my cart. <laughs> Boy. I have no idea what I'm doing. I was not prepared for this. I'm trying and I'm learning. Thank you for your patience. There's so many mistakes I have already made, but I'm working to be better day by day. And I think I'm gonna make it, but for now I'll say I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm doing.